0: Hey guys, welcome to obsessed. Think of us as your personal development entourage all wrapped up into one podcast. If you're committed to your personal development and believe your life is meant for more, then get ready to learn the tools you need to elevate this experience called life. Get obsessed with your life. Just like us. We are Tia, Tristan, Mika, and Julie, and we are obsessed with humans on the verge of change. Hi, I'm Tristan, and I'm obsessed with your
1: emotional well-being.
0: Hey, obsessors, welcome to another episode of Obsessed. We are here with one of our most favorite friends, Heidi Dunstan. She is an international best-selling author, and she is leading the movement called Lean Into Grief, Lean Into Grief. So, you know, this is going to be an episode that you need to hear, share it with your friends, share it with your family, anyone that could use Heidi's message, please listen closely because Heidi is a warrior in
1: grief. Welcome, Heidi. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Welcome.
2: So excited to be here. We are excited to have you. So we love to start off our episodes with asking Heidi, what are you obsessed with?
3: Oh, gosh. Well, Clubhouse has been my new obsession. I'm not going to lie. It's been a, a quite the a fun journey. Meeting Jules there is great. I love the conversations. I love being able to go into other people's rooms and hear their stories. And I have my own rooms and my own clubs and, and share stories and hear stories. And I love the fact that it isn't, you don't have to do your hair, you don't have to do your makeup. People just hear you and, and can actually, you actually feel heard because it's the only way you get to be communicating. So It's a great experience. And then my other session is is grief and kind of changing the narrative around grief. So looking forward to the chat today.
1: Awesome! Thank you for being with us. Excited to dive in. And with you writing your best-selling books on grief, I want to ask you, what makes you an expert on grief, Heidi? Unfortunately, experience. I lost my husband unexpectedly to a heart attack
3: just over two and a half years ago. and. I learned in my process of grieving, a lot of people around me had never really knew much about grief either. And so people often said things that missed the mark, things like, how are you? Um, He's in a better place, or, you know, you'll find love again, or I understand grief, I went through divorce. And those things weren't said to me maliciously, they were said with with genuine intent, but they didn't really realize that they hurt because they didn't acknowledge my pain where I was at. And so I know there's lots of great therapists, lots of great counselors and coaches out there, but there's not a lot of people teaching people what to say and what to not to say to somebody who's grieving. And so I'd really like to help the general population because I've yet to meet anybody who's immune to death, which means we all get to walk through grief. And um, I think it's time to change things.
0: So Heidi, your book, Lean into Grief is expected to launch this year, I believe, or next year.
3: Next year, yeah, I've a first book coming out called Legacy of Loss, and it's really my story of grief, as well as ten people who knew my husband and how they move through grief and how they've got a legacy of him in their lives now. And then my Lean Into Grief will be a more of a collaboration book as well, and it's going to be my story about being a widow, a young widow, as well as other people and their losses. Because death isn't just about losing a spouse; it's about losing a child, a dog, a, a friend, a parent. Could be losing a job. Could be losing change in health, change in finances. Um, we've all gone through grief through COVID with some of the restrictions. Grief is around us everywhere, and we start need to start recognizing it because when we get a sense of how it feels, we can actually get a sense of what we need to do to move through some of that stuff. And work, I call it work our grief muscles so and get stronger in them. So,
0: and I mean, if you see Heidi right now, she's a young lady. I'm just going to guess, but I think I actually know. Young, like young 40s and turning 43. Yeah. You have a life planned out, you and your husband. He's 39 years old, right?
3: Nope. He was older. He was 24 years my senior. So, oh, 30.
0: why did I think he was? Okay. So, but t- like walk us through that and walk us through that roller coaster of grief. Because as we know, as our friend, Dr. Laura Berman told us, Grief is not a linear process. And then, if I were talking to you, I wouldn't especially know how to respond. What is the etiquette if there is etiquette? Because we're just caught up with a lot of emotions, I think, at that time. I know that's a big mouthful, but I guess I have a lot of questions for you.
3: (laughs) Happy to help. Basically, my journey with him, I met him in 2014. My life was a mess, and I was attending a personal development seminar, oddly enough. And he ended up being a volunteer coach in the room and I had to do my work. I really was not in a great place. In fact, I was pretty suicidal at that time in my life and I needed to do some, some healing. And the program kind of was a big kick in the butt to do that work. And him and I became friends and he was married at the time and his marriage had dissolved. We were friends, walked him through a really difficult divorce for him. He's a pretty sensitive guy. Um, he often cried more than I did, and um, walked him through some really hard times, and we became really good friends. And um, continued our personal development journey. We were always going to courses, even like when he died, we were registered to go to do Tony Robbins together. Like we were always working on personal development stuff. And the day he died, it was it was a shock. And yeah, people around me were were there, and some were great, some were inappropriate like somebody 2 hours after I got home from the hospital dropped off a bottle of rum which you know i understand but we really need to avoid using alcohol and and numbing cuz at that point you're already super numb shop kicks in um, and a lot of people you know the door was busy lots of people were coming to the door wanting to see me wanting to and i wasn't quite in a space for myself ready to be seen i felt like a little bit of a circus animal like that people were coming to see the caged lion and It was really difficult for me. I was really grateful I had people around, but for me, I just, I didn't feel myself and I didn't feel like I could be there for them, um, which is who I naturally am. Um, There was a lot of, I'm sorry for your loss. And, and that's as far as the conversation would go because we don't really know what to say after that. And the hard part for me, I'm sorry for your losses is kind of like a, how are you? You know, when somebody asks, how are you? And somebody gives you that I'm shitty today or I'm not doing well. And you kind of walk away feeling like, I don't think I want to ask them how they are anymore. I'm sorry for your loss is kind of the same. It's like that obligatory, you're supposed to say you're good, you're fine, or you're okay and move on. Whereas I find I'm sorry for your loss means that as a griever, I'm not feeling connected to you. And as somebody who's trying to support me, you're not connecting to me either. And so for me, I've changed the narrative of I say, what you're experiencing is a significant loss. I want to acknowledge their pain. I want to acknowledge that this hurts and I see you. I see that it hurts. And then, if I know the person, I often will share a story. A friend of mine that I worked with, her husband passed. And I said, You know, I never got to meet your husband, Keith, but I know when you shared stories about him, I saw how happy the look in your eyes were. Like, I could see how much you loved him or how much you love him. Like, it's just, it makes it easy to lean in and and share a story. Um, when all of a sudden you're acknowledging somebody's pain and you could say, hey, I see you and I remember your person, it just gives that moment of connection. And And I believe grief is love and love should never be done alone. There, there are pieces of it that can be done privately, but you don't need to do it alone. And many people can say that as they've moved through grief, they've had to do it in isolation because people didn't know what to say or they did they did it with a lot of judgment. So it changes this, the pace of it and makes it so people... Don't feel safe to do it with others.
2: How can we be there and support our loved ones while they're going through something so hard? It's such a big loss that we may have not personally gone through. What things can we do to try to connect with them and let them know that I am here even when they aren't
3: ready to be seen or be heard yet? Great question. And everybody is different. I need you to know that. Like Some things I'm going to say will work for some people, and they won't work for others. Sometimes it'll work one day and it won't work the other because grief is like this big roller coaster. But often I avoid saying, how are you? Grief leaves you le- living in the moment, breath by breath sometimes. And so I change the narrative and I say, how's today? Because how are you? People then feel like they're obliged to say, I'm, I'm okay or I'm sore or I'm, I'm good. I'm fine. Well, a griever's not any of those. And so you force them to lie. And so many grievers say they hate that. They hate having to lie every day. And then Hold that space. Like sometimes when you say how how's today, they say I haven't eaten in three days. Hey, is there anything I can get you for food? Lean in and, and support that. Right? Um, I'm lonely. Hey, do you want do you want to come over to my place and watch a movie, or you want me to come over? Do you want to go for coffee? Sometimes it's I just want some normal. I'm tired of this grief stuff. Can I have a half an hour walk where we can talk about the weather and or go shopping or do something normal? And honor that if you can. Say, hey, I can't do that today, but can we make a plan for tomorrow? I'd love to connect with you. Um, and then, and even something as simple as sharing stories, saying, hey, I'd love to remember your person. And if you don't know them, I'd love to hear more about them. Lots of times people, grief is love, and they've got to find a new way to love their person because they're not here. And so when you can sit and tell stories, and they can say their name, and they don't have to feel judged. They don't have to feel like, oh, I'm stuck right? A lot of people like six months down the road, they're like, can you stop talking about that person? Like, are you stuck in your grief? And it's like, no, I'm just grieving. And this is my way. And so listen to those stories and be honored that they're sharing them with you because that's their way of trying to find space to fit this this big hole in their life and trying to make it work. And so things like that really make a big difference. And then don't judge. Grief comes because we all do it so differently. We're like, why isn't she crying? Why doesn't she stop crying? Um, And why don't we, why can't we just love people where we're at? Realize that grief is so individual and just love them where they're at. And if they're crying because something made them cry and it's a year and a half later, they're grieving still. I will grieve my husband till the day I die because I will love him to the day I die. And it doesn't matter if it's a spouse, it doesn't matter if it's a child. It doesn't matter if it's your best friend; you love that person, and it you wouldn't grieve them deeply if you didn't love them deeply, right? And so, acknowledge that and be like, "I see your grief." That tells me you love them; that they're really important to you. And so, when they're wanting to share with you, realize that that's that you're you're getting honored. You're being they're honoring you by sharing sacred space with you. Is what I believe because that's that's a legacy that's left behind is these stories that we can learn from. So, and then the other thing is some of the things not to say, Tia. It's the, if your sentence starts with, at least you still have, or at least you, don't say it because at least you still have another child. At least you can get another dog. At least you, it, it ignite totally makes it so the person isn't seen, that how they feel doesn't matter, right? And never assume if somebody has a strong sense of faith, death can shock, rock that faith. And they may not believe in the faith that they have right now in those early days, weeks, and months, and sometimes forever. So I never, ever assume like, hey, God's with them. It's like, they might be mad at God right now. And that's okay. Heidi,
1: your suggestions, like your advice is it's golden because these are things that I've never heard before. There's no course on a subject like this. And everything you're saying is so valid and it makes sense. It's like a, it's like what you would want to hear Is is showing empathy, is showing sympathy is showing connecting with someone and their situation. And it's on a very human level, but these things aren't taught. And even in church, and I can't speak for every single religious organization, whether it's Christian or any other faith. I've, I've never heard of this. And um, I think your suggestions are amazing. I wrote down a few where you say, house today? I think that's beautiful. I can see how that would apply. Like you said, if someone loses their job, their employment, if someone loses their animal, if someone loses, you know, they're having an issue with health. So I can see how that would apply to so many different parts, areas, and levels of people's lives. And I see your grief that lets someone know that they're seen, you know, and that's so valuable. Like those are words that I would love to hear, you know, if I'm going through something and these suggestions you're mentioning, are there in your books, like your latest book that you have coming out?
3: Yeah, they're coming for sure. And you can feel free to follow my Insta, my Facebook. They often are there Uh, this weekend being the 20th anniversary of 9-11. I commented many of us who adults during 9-11 or even teens can remember the day of 9-11. We can remember what we were wearing. We can remember what we were eating for breakfast. And that feeling that you had on Saturday is the same feeling that most grievers have when they got the call or that they found their loved one that has died. That day in their brain has etched. And so even commenting or, or noting in your calendar The day somebody's passed and reaching out year after year to say, hey, sending you a hug, I know today's a a roller coaster of a day, can make such a big difference because grief isn't just a one, two, it's not just when the funeral happens, it happens for months and years after. And people were like, this weekend when I chatted about it, they're like, I never thought about it that way. And 9-11 was a great way to put that experience to heart where people could say, hey, I remember 9-11 clearly. Little things make such a big difference. So I I really thank you for seeing what I've I've said and hearing it.
0: And, you know, Heidi, for a lot of our listeners, maybe this isn't a subject at the top of their minds, meaning they haven't had a friend who's experienced this or family member, but you did mention that this can have, we grieve for many different things, you know, divorce. You mentioned loss of a job. What can we do in those situations? And same thing. Be there, just hold space. And I
3: also say that like, grief is around us all the time. Kids, I mean, you have kids. Grief, kids grieve all the time. Toddlers grieve when they lose their favorite rock or their balloon floats away. Teenagers grieve when you turn the internet off or their phone. You take the phone charger away. That's grief. <laughs> Julius is like, yeah, I got it. That's my life. Um, and. When we actually lean in and instead saying don't be sad, say, I see that you're hurting. We start working our grief muscles with our kids or with people in those little griefs when they've lost something, it will help us to work our grief muscles in those big losses. When we start acknowledging how it feels, and it's uncomfortable, I'm not going to lie. Like When somebody's grieving, most people say, I want it to run away. And I say, that's when you need to lean in. That's when you need to say that. How's today? Or it's okay to say, I don't know what to say today. I had one lady, she, she had heard that my husband passed and she goes, Well, that's just shit. And I was like, You're right. It is. And it was the most uncomfortable <laughs> sentence for her to come out of her mouth, but it was exactly true. It was just shit. And I didn't plan for it. And so sometimes it's those just be okay with being uncomfortable. And that's, And no, and you can say, hey, I'm uncomfortable because I see that you're hurting. We're not a culture that's comfortable with pain. We want to fix it. We want to find the silver lining, you know, at least, you know, when they they have cancer. At least they're not suffering anymore. Well, that means they're not here with me, so I'm suffering. People forget that. They forget that, yeah, that person isn't sick anymore, but now I'm left to suffer. I don't have my person. and people want to be seen. Like all, all of us, we all want to be seen good, bad, and ugly. And, and when it's painful, many people walk these lines unseen. And that's what I'd love to see different.
2: Wow. I think you're so right. We avoid pain at all costs. And that's honestly when the suffering does happen to it more painful, the more we try to avoid it. And you mentioned that making sure to lean in on the days that we feel like running. Do you have any tips or advice on how we can start that leaning in process when we do feel ourselves wanting to just bolt
3: out of our own skins? Realize that that person needs you and that they, there will be a gift there for you as well. You know, there it may not be in that moment, but know that a lot of times in grief, you lose your closest people. And so, on top of losing your loved one, the people around you, you've changed. And so the people around you that are your normal people aren't there anymore. And so when you can take that lean in, you go, Hey, that person is actually really like there's grief within grief is kind of what I'm trying to outline. And that we, when you turn around and go, Hey, like this is really important and the important work and the the heart work is never easy. Heart work is always uncomfortable and it's, when you actually do, you're going to get a bigger reward. And that reward is love. And it may not be in that moment where an instant gratification kind of world, but know that those people that reached out to me, you know, every couple of weeks saying, hey, I'm thinking about you. Hey, I'm sending a hug. It doesn't need to be deep and intense. It needs to be just, I'm thinking about you and you're on my heart today. Um, let people be seen. And that's all you have to do. And sometimes just be there. Like, and just say, hey, what what can I do? And oftentimes with people who are grieving, they say, or grievers, people who are supporting grievers, call me if you need me. Well, I barely can remember, like I was putting my car keys in the dishwasher and finding my mail in the, in the freezer. Um, there was one day where I was ready to get out to go into the car and I realized I forgot to put pants on. Um, <laughs> like grief messes with your head. And so they don't have the capacity to pick up the phone and call you it's not easy. So turn around and say, Hey, I'm grabbing groceries on Saturday. Can I pick something up? Because grocery stores are a nightmare for grievers, especially if it's a spouse or a child. There's triggers, the music. I don't know why, how they pick the hardest music to listen to in a grocery store when you're grieving, but then to see all the foods that the person would have loved to eat are all hanging out on shelves. When you see abandoned yeah. parts half full, it's. I used to think it was people forgot their wallets. I realized it was grievers getting out because they couldn't keep it together.
1: Wow. wow! And I can imagine the triggers where you're walking through the grocery store or the mall because you need to buy some pants. You need to buy some new underwear or something, and then you see couples holding hands, and I can imagine that being a major trigger. Or driving, you know, driving down a street and then passing by the church that you and your partner used to go to. And there, like you said, there are so many triggers that I imagine it catches a griever off guard, seeing a couples holding hands or seeing you know uh, another um, person wearing the same favorite color jacket or jeans or t-shirt as their partner would have worn. I never thought of there being so many triggers. Incredible. So I've written that down. So if you're going to the grocery store, just sending them a text message or giving them a call, saying, "Hey, I'm going to the grocery store. Do you, um would you like anything? Need me to drop something off for you?" I think that's genius. That's so incredible. And it just speaks to a society of being closer. It's almost like how we were many many years ago, where we were a closer knit society where we would actually take care of each other and we did not need to be blood relatives. You know, you're in my neighborhood, you're in my community that we're so community oriented. Yeah. So incredible. Incredible.
3: One of the best grief gifts I got the day after Mike died was my neighbor showed up with a Costco size box of really good Kleenex. And it sounds totally inappropriate, but it was like the best gift ever. And I'm, I'm a bit of a, I've got a pretty good sense of humor on me. Um, so I can laugh at the fact that I went, tried to go to work without pants one day, but Kleenex the day after was like the best gift. And, and people just think that's weird. You would, you would accept something like that. I'm like, we went through a lot of Kleenex the first few months at my house. So um, it makes a big difference. And you know, there's, there's some websites out there, like there's a mealtrain.com where you can actually, cause let me tell you, you get an abundance of lasagnas. They all have to go in the freezer or casseroles, right? Like we all want to bring food. And so all of a sudden this meal train, people can actually sign up for the day they want to, somebody can organize it and they'd reach out to the griever and say, Hey, how much food do you want? And how often do you want a food delivery? Do you have any dietary restrictions? And so then all of a sudden people are scheduled to bring food. So you don't have like 15 lasagnas. You can have different things. And then you can also have it so that they don't come every day. Um, it makes such a big difference. Like technology has made a big difference. Social media has made a big difference with grief. I'm sure you've all seen the loving memory pages or even the websites for the, the funeral homes where people can put condolences. That's where you can also put your memories. You know, I really loved... Being able to read other people's stories about my husband and how he impacted their life and what they remembered of him and all the crazy things that he used to do with them. And those are things I can go back on now, even like on the anniversary of his his death. I often go back to that website and read those because they warm my heart because he made an impact on people. That's his legacy. And and I believe legacy is a big part of grief. Um, It can help in healing. I know gratitude was a big part in my healing. I think that um, I think that we. Um, I, I'm grateful I had Mike. I'm grateful that I had the time with him, as much as it was short. It was only four years that he was in my life. I'm grateful that I had him because he made my life better. But it doesn't negate the pain that I had. And so, when we start to look at gratitude and, and legacy and things like that, we do make a difference. And when our community can surround us, it makes a difference as well because. We feel seen and we feel heard and we see that this person made a difference and that's a huge piece to healing.
0: And Heidi, thank you. I mean, if anyone is making their pain, their purpose, it's Heidi Dunstan, a hundred percent. I think I have just one last question because this is what comes to mind. And, you know, as I have, I'm a coach and so is Tia and Mika and I think our natural instinct when we see someone that is ruminating or in a lot of pain, maybe notwithstanding grief, our first thing is go get help. Or, you know, so how how do we nuance that? Is it what we should do? Or when you see a friend that's really, really struggling, how do we how do we approach that?
3: You know, I would ask if they're getting help first, because lots of times they are, and grief isn't there are some great, just like there's great coaches, great counselors. There's also crappy ones too. So they may not have the right person. Um, I know I had a couple of crappy ones before I found my good one. Um, that's a big piece. I often, and, and I even do it in everyday life. I think Jules, you've seen me do it. Is I often say, how can I support you? Um, when you ask and, and try to um, put it in their court as to what do you need from me? What can I give you? Instead of lots of times we push stuff on others. If we can say, how can I support you? It makes a big difference because grief is different, right? Like you can walk in somebody's house and nothing has moved. And if all of a sudden you start moving it, you could be triggering them. I know that in me, for me, it took about nine months for me to clean out the closet. Some people, nine years later, they still haven't cleaned out the closet and that's okay. So being able to ask for help, knowing what grief resources are around you is helpful and make them specific. One of the things I found is that psychologists and, and counselors being specific in, in their training in grief makes a big difference because grief is very un- misunderstood. Many of us have believed in that or been taught the five stages of grief from a, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Well, those aren't five stages of grief. They're five stages of dying. Very different. Um, and so a lot of people think grief is linear and it's not. It's a big cat hair of big ball of hair like all tangled together and you move through it in a crazy way and you sometimes you think you are done it and you're not and you go back to it a year and a half or two years later so encouraging them to get help that's why I do some of the rooms on clubhouse where people come in and they just share their grief story because they just need to be heard lots of grievers end up hearing other people's grief stories because they haven't done done any work And um, that isn't the right time to share your grief story. That's the time to hold space and then be able to walk with them and learn in the process. So I encourage help. I I didn't do it alone. I had angels. I I lost some friends in my process, but I also had friends that stepped up and leaned in and supported me. And then I also got, I received individual counseling and I had um, a young widows group because as a widow, being with somebody who's been with their husband for 50 years is not the same as being with somebody as a young widow. It's a different different grief because we often can grieve what we didn't get. And a lot of people will grieve that sometimes with parents. They grieve a parent that maybe wasn't around or wasn't healthy. They will grieve what they didn't get. And that's a grief in itself. So,
0: Wow. That is powerful. And if I know anyone, and actually I don't know anyone that has this Expertise as Heidi Dunstan does. And all her links are in the show notes. Reach out to her if you do have questions, if you do know someone that is in this sort of situation, or if you're grieving, because you can tell that her heart is in every conversation. And she mentioned, and this stuck out to me, that truly the heart work, the heart work is the hard work. And lean into grief the revolution that she is sparking you guys got to check her out obsessors thank you so much for being a part of this conversation obsessors please share this with somebody i know there are people out there that need to hear this please share this with them and if you enjoy this content and the obsessed girls bringing such amazing guests like heidi Dunstan onto our platform tap on those five stars And guys, don't forget to get obsessed with your life.